G'day, everyone. Welcome back to the last episode of Spark Your Fire Friday Wrap for 2021. I got to say, now, there's a lot of things that we are looking back uh, today. We will be looking back at today for what we learn out of 2021. It's it's being another, I guess, how do we put it? Um, it's not a dull year, that's for sure. I, there's been so many things happening. And I, I got to say, you know, sometimes it's very difficult to catch up with the amount of information that's been overloading. Um, but at the same time, I think it, it makes 2022 even more interesting and it makes you look forward to another exciting year of 2022 in terms of what the assets um, can do in general. So um, so I think today we're all going to dedicate this episode to pretty much a, a review of what we learned from 2021, a bit of review on, um, on, what we, on our predictions last year, <laughs> which will be a fun segment, let's put it that way, uh, and also a, a, a prediction for 2022. Um, you know, we, we, we love to have a bit of fun. So, you know, today's will be all a bit of a fun episode. Um, and joining me today in the studio, we got our usual host and co-hosts, Jazz and John. It will be no fun without you guys for today's episode. That's for sure. How are you gents doing? Which one, John or Jazz? Are you John or Jazz today, Jazz? <laughs> I don't mind if you guys want names. I, I am not as... I'm not of that high caliber as John, so I'll stay as jazz. <laughs> um, yep. But happy Friday. Last Friday. episode of the year before we march into 2022. So always fun with you guys. Um, and yeah, looking forward to a lot more years in the future. Yeah. Right. Hi, guys. I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do on Fridays without uh, your fine company, but I'm looking forward to a, uh, a predictions episode and uh, looking forward to embarrassing myself further uh, uh, <laughs> after today. So uh, let's do it. John, you're, you're, you're gaining an extra hour to look into uh, crypto, that's for sure. So uh, oh, that's, God, that's yeah. put it that way. <laughs> One of many prepare, bad calls. <laughs> pre prepare yourself Prepare yourself for, uh, for, for crypto 2022, potentially. So. <laughs> David, can we start the episode with John's predictions for 2020 <laughs> and that he did in 2020, 2020 uh, just to embarrass him a little bit? Well, just, you <laughs> see, we got to leave the best till the last because otherwise the listener is going to listen to it and they're going to go, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I've got the predictions now. I'm going to bugger off, right? I'm getting... I'm, I'm sensing I'm going to be having some technical difficulties on this call today. What is this microphone not working? What's going on here? Let's see how it goes, eh? <laughs> We've lost John. Uh, <laughs> that's it. All right, guys. All right, before well, before we jump into the review, um, I think uh, this this week there's been a big piece of news, and we just want to quickly touch on because it had an impact on pretty much all asset classes. Um, so Evergrande, the China developer giant or property giant, has actually defaulted uh, in this case. I think that's been that's a confirmed news. Um, and uh, if you hold if you hold uh, positions in shares or cryptos, you're you'll probably be wondering <laughs> why it's been going red <laughs> and it's been dropping, especially cryptos being uh, coming down quite a bit this week. Uh, even though I mean everything is starting to go back up a little bit, but um, yeah, so. We talked about in a few episodes back that there was there were rumors talking about Evergrande about to default and um, yeah and and now it seems like it has happened, which um, I guess is that to anyone's surprise? I know John, Jazz. Yeah, uh, look, look. I mean, there's it, it was expected to be a fairly big week. We knew that the um, the dollar-denominated Evergrande debt was coming due this week. 
Mm. Uh, it lapsed. They couldn't make the repayment, but they, mm. they and Fitch, Fitch downgraded them, I think yesterday. Um, but there wasn't, there wasn't a, uh, an announcement from Evergrande. It's sort of just, they've just okay. gone to sort of a default. Um, now, so we're we talk- any official announcements. Nothing. Yeah, they, they, they haven't. I'm sure they will possibly by the time this, uh, this episode goes out. But um, no announcements so far. It, I mean, th- this is like the uh, uh, the Jim Ricard's snowflake in the avalanche. Like, what's the snowflake that cr- creates the big problems? Is this is this the snowflake that that leads to the avalanche that leads to all these debt problems in China? Maybe. I mean, ch- Chinese real estate's vulnerable, but I just can't. I still can't see this turning out to be a, a big Lehman Brothers moment, as it's often touted. Um, but one one thing that makes the Evergrande thing interesting, and it's it's still playing out, but it's it's interesting because the the Chinese government isn't bailing it out. I think they kind of want some froth to come out of the the property market. So we'll see we'll see um, we'll see what goes on. But uh, yeah, they, they've they have defaulted. Mm. Mm. And yeah, and, and all and and basically share prices, crypto prices, all reflected that. In crypto, it dropped almost thirty yeah. percent uh, at one point. Uh, 40. 40 percent. Wow. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. What's, what's the connection, Jazz? Though between Evergrande and crypto, mm-hmm. it's been explained to me, but it just doesn't land. I can't, I can't get it. Well, there is no connection. I won't say that there is any connection. Uh, crypto and the stock markets in general are risk on markets, right? So uh, people want to take risk, but when there is uncertainty in the markets, like things like Evergrande, Evergrande collapse. When those things start to appear, which is the structured defaults, uh, you can say, uh, people tend to move towards the risk off. And crypto, uh, stock markets, all these are very risk on, especially crypto. Crypto is a free market, right? So uh, when stock market dropped uh, five, I think stock market last week or was it this week? Sorry, this week, all up stock market dropped about 5.2%. Um, and the crypto, we're talking crypto in general, but specifically talking uh, Bitcoin dropped uh, roughly 40%. So um, there are risk on markets and that's that's the risk that you carry when you start to invest in these markets, basically. Um, that if there's any macro landscape change or any structural uh, changes in the market that can really uh, wipe your wipe out your equity pretty quickly. If you, if, if, uh, you're playing short-term games uh, kind of thing. So no, so no, 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 di- sorry, no direct connection, just a risk on risk of thing. Putting out to basically hold their position, isn't it? Just to, just in, in yeah, to, to prevent themselves from basically the whole, the whole crypto market crashes yeah. and they're going to lose even further. That's the, that's the mentality. People on top of that tend to leverage as well. So when you start doing 10x leverage or 20x leverage, uh, the market needs a cleansing system. And that was, the perfect setup for that, the Evergrande missing its repayments, interest repayments, that was the perfect setup to clean the market up of uh, highly leveraged players. And that's what's happened, I think. Ah, interesting. All right. Well, look, I think so. I'm sure we'll touch on more uh, next year when we've got further news uh, coming up from Evergrande and, and the announcements. But um, all right. Well, that's, so let's jump into the, uh, the, the lessons for 2021 then. Um, basically, it's for... Um, uh, this will, what better way to finish off the year by looking at retrospectively what we learned out of this year um, and uh, what can we take away with us for into 2022? 
Um, so we've got about six discussion topics here. We'll go through them one by one. Um, number one is uh, we, we really need to see some economic resilience. I think at the moment, the, um, you know, we, we, the government, we've been, you know, last year, there's been JobKeeper, JobSeeker, they've been printing a whole bunch of money, uh, basically, that's, um, you know, it's, it's, not sus it's not sustainable. I think, you know, the whole world knows that, the whole central banks throughout the world all knows that. So, um, you know, for... I guess we really need to start looking at uh, some economic stability. We need to look at income sources that's not really impacted by government's incentives. Um, yeah, and, and, and I think that was the main, that was one of the main ones um, to make sure that, um, you know, we, we, we need to see some economic resilience uh, in that sense, isn't it? So, I know, John, um, I think uh, you've got, you got more economic background than me. <laughs> yeah, I... For me, there are a couple of couple of parts to just being economically resilient. So it's it's like okay. you know you, you survive the good times, you survive the bad times. You know you you, you can you can thrive and and so on. But I think there are two parts to being economically resilient. I think the first part is um, that you need to be an investor. So big, part of being economically resilient is not relying on your salary because you know that that's putting your sort of economic fortune in the hands of someone else. Um, it means you need to be an investor because no, no one saw 25% growth in real estate coming, but um, investors benefited from this and they were in it right from the beginning. So economic resilience means being an investor and, and not relying on any one particular source of income, which we will come to. The other thing about being economically resilient is not having too much debt. Um, so I think you need to have some debt I think you, if you're going to be an investor, you need to have uh, some debt, but you just need to have uh, an amount that you can manage. And I think economic resilience also means different things to different people, but I think you need to be an investor and I think you need to uh, make sure you're not pushing yourself to the uh, absolute limit. Manage the good times and the bad times. Mm -hmm. True. What do you guys yeah, think? Jess, anything? Anything you want to add? Um. I think when I, when when we talk about uh, economic resilience, to me it's more of uh, uh, an economy that is not financialized and is able to sustain itself on its own uh, without government intervention. Uh, like in 2020 and 2021, we saw the regulators intervene to stepped in to save the property market by suspending mortgages and job keeper and job seeker. So when we talk about economic resilience, the first thing to me strikes is basically that it is um, a market that is free of all the policies and can totally stand on its own legs is how I look at it. And I don't think we are anywhere near that type of market. These markets are totally manipulated markets uh, which we have discussed on the part a lot of times through uh, Fed interventions and other central bank interventions. So, um, but to John's point, you need the economic resilience. That's that's. I think if you have that, then uh, the citizens of citizens of the country will always uh, feel safe and secure. Uh, but the reality is, we know we're close to it. Simple. I think, I think there's, there's also a part of it, like one of the lessons for. for when I look back at 2021, I think it'll be remembered as the year 
it was probably a couple of things, but it was the year that we were locked down for, for six months, at least in you know, Sydney, for example, and Melbourne's just been locked down for, for, for years now uh, on and off. But how do you survive a lockdown? You need savings. You, you need to be able to pick up and retool once lockdowns end and you can never foresee these things. So economic resilience means like, how do I get through these external shocks? Um, I need to have enough savings in my, you know, in my bank account. I need to have skills um, so economic resilience is also about having the right skills, the right amount saved so that you can retool the minute, the minute they, um, they lift it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think, I think that's more at a micro level when we, when, when yeah. we talk about the skills yeah. and all, it depends what level we're talking at, but at a very macro level, it's the policies and all, uh, should be independent of the financial markets, but unfortunately that is not the case. Yeah. I don't think it will ever be the case when people still have the intervention capability, though. Yes. Yeah, but we're and always going to see history repeating itself. Yeah, funny thing is it straight away ties back into what we were discussing about the markets before. Market tanked, stock market tanked, what, 6%. But if stock market was a free market, which it is not, if it was a free market, then you would have seen a drop like 40% what you saw in crypto because there is no, uh, no intervention over there. I mean, crypto is a volatile market, not because it's a free market and unregulated. Crypto is a volatile market because it's five minutes old. Like it's just figuring itself out. And mm-hmm. so, so, you know, in a sense, you know, the fishing, the fish markets are a, a free market as well, but they're very stable. Um, crypto is just a bit unknown and it, mm-hmm. it's very new. Yeah. yeah. It's a baby in the bathtub. That's right. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. So I guess, yeah, so people people need to have that. Uh, the way I took it is people need to have that financial strength on a, you know, at least if, if you're looking from a personal level, because at the, you know, at the macro level, there's not much you can do about it, to be honest, it's beyond your control. But at, at a personal level, um, you know, uh, how, how do you look after yourself in, in terms of turbulence times like this, where, you know, there's lockdowns, um, and there's there's impacts to your income, where's on the reduce. And next time, there may not necessarily be job keeper or job seeker or whatever you know uh, stimulus that's going to come your way. So, what are you going to do to be able to prevent yourself from being pushed into a financial stress or financial distress type of position? Uh, I think is is the one is the uh, something that we took away um, a key lesson from 2021 there. And tying to that, um, you know, comes to the next topic, which talks about the multiple sources of income. Uh, which I think is very, very relevant to the first topic as well, because ultimately, um, you know, if you're just relying on a single source of income, for example, your day job, uh, then at times like a lockdown or, you know, that in, in, in tough times like this, then, you know, your only source of income basically gets cut off. What are you going to live on uh, in that instance? So I think 2021 has definitely sparked a lot of people's thinking in terms of how do I create multiple sources of income so that I can actually safeguard myself uh, in a situation like lockdown uh, or COVID or anything other that uh, that is unexpected that's yet to come, how can I prevent, how can I safeguard myself uh, by spreading my, my nest eggs or my golden eggs across different uh, multiple different type of assets. Um, so that way, if one gets cut off, then I still got the other ones that can sustain myself. I can see both of you are eager to jump on. <laughs> about this topic. <laughs> so Jazz, I'll start off with you this time. Uh, I think this is a really important one, personally. Uh, back in the days, well, I, when we say back in the days, just before COVID kind of thing, uh, people were working full-time jobs, right? So you had the nine to five, 
one job, one paycheck, and that was life. But if you look at the younger generations, uh, they don't really want those kind of office desk jobs. Uh, I think in the futures are going to move anyways more towards uh, short-term contracts, part-time contracts, and I think so. I think it's going to match. This is one thing that I think that will naturally happen. You don't even need to make it happen where uh, employees will be working for on various projects in different companies um, that forcefully making the employees come into the office, sit on a desk uh, nine to five, even though the work is only two hours a day, but you have to be in the office eight hours a day to drink coffee, to socialize, to bitch about others. All of that will be gone. I think it will be you're working for multiple companies uh, within in, in a day. You'll be probably doing two or three different projects for two the two or three different companies, and it will be uh, just get the job done. Don't worry about politics side of things. I think this is something that will happen naturally, in my opinion. Oh, that's interesting. It's a cynical take, actually, Jazz. But I, I think that's a very interesting take. You'd be doing working for three companies during the day and just managing your time. Maybe, maybe. Um, uh, yeah, I think you guys have nailed that one. I I, I think that. Every time, you know, when when we're all much, much older and we're still doing the podcast and we're doing uh, lessons learned from 2037 uh, in uh, in several years' time, I think multiple sources of income will be one of those permanent lessons. Um, it's about economic resilience. Um, what the only the only twist I'd put on what you guys have already said, which is all true, is that. Um, Part of the part of the multiple sources of income need to be inflation hedges. So I think one of the big messages from 2021 was inflation's back, um, and if you're going to have multiple sources of income, these need to be um, sources of income that grow with inflation. Yeah, that's a really good point, John. Yeah, given that, uh, yeah, uh, you know, if you. It's, it's good to have multiple sources of income, but it doesn't really work out that well if it constantly, continuously being eroded by yeah. inflation over time, right? Because, yeah, that's... Uh, and, yeah. and we're seeing what US inflation figures now at, what, 4%, 5%? Yeah, 5%, it's, yeah. It's nuts. It's nuts, seriously. Yeah, yeah. so... This is, this is where real estate, you know, we, we ought to come back to real estate a bit more, but real estate solves a lot of problems because not only is it a recurring source of income that that's more or less passive it's not a completely passive source of income but it's it's typically a growing source of income so rents typically go up over time because they are inflation hedges so it's not just the value of you know we talk about what will real estate do real estate's value is one thing but the rent is the other part and um, rents tend to grow it's an inflationary hedge and it's a it's another source of passive income so you, you, you should own it if you don't have any. You should try to own some real estate. Absolutely, I think uh, you know that. That's why that's why I've been talking about property the whole time, right? Uh, been talking property since since the start, since the inception of this podcast right. that John, I, I, Jazz, and I have started. So, not very true, very true, and um, uh, which uh, which then um, actually, uh, yeah. So so I think that that's actually a good segue into one of the other ones, uh, one of the other lessons which talks about property uh so i'm gonna jump here a little bit um one of the lessons that we that that in terms of property that we got out 2021 is that you need to set up your positions particularly in real estate before the boom okay um and i think that's a very important one um ultimately you know this year we're seeing a lot of people chasing 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 that magical and try to get into the market you know and they they, they continue as being outpriced and that 
that fear of missing out every month is is nuts it's crazy you know you get you get you get customers i get customers personally coming back to me every month to say how much more can i borrow i'm being priced out i want to see how much more i can push i can push um and and you know in in some extreme cases like it could be a difference of fifty thousand dollars in a month's difference in you know that's how much more potentially you may have to be prepared to pay uh to try to get the same type of property now we are advocates of prepare yourself early uh, I mean, all of us, I, I don't know, I mean, all of us pretty much have our investment properties uh, well before this boom started. Um, and the, the fact is, nobody knows when boom's going to come. There's, you know, we, Jazz and I, we started off talking about timing the market as being one of the key topics versus time in the market. Um, truth is, you cannot time the market. So therefore, the time in the market starts to become more significant. Um, so, and the other and the other fact is if you are chasing that if you're chasing during the boom if you're chasing growth during the boom um like i'm not even sure how long this boom is going to last um to a degree right it might end tomorrow and 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 people try to get in today thinking that hey i'm still on the boom train but the reality is that may have been gone and i've already left the platform a month ago something like that so they will be catch, catching at the tail end which means they could potentially start to get stuck and you know uh, because if the property prices started to turn that's going to present a significant issue so um so i think yeah look i think uh, jumping on this the the conclusion is you know the market when the market is flat um it's actually not necessarily a bad time to 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 jump in is my personal opinion i don't know john i'm gonna throw it over to you this time to start off with yeah, look, I, I really like this one because because no one really foresaw real estate going up by 25%, but it did. And if you were in real estate, you know, in 2020, you caught the the wave and, and you know, you, you've been a big beneficiary of this. Um, a lot of people that I speak to are trying to pick the market, what's happening next. And and the fact is, look, no one, no one knows. So you need to, fo- you need to reorient your thinking to... Do I have a position in this item of value in this in this asset class? And if not, then you need to take a position. Rather than rather than trying to to, to get the next wave up, it's like I need a I need to own some real estate. Now, the people who went into 2021 without owning any real estate were probably people who tried to buy real estate in 2019 and 2020, but probably decided not to spend the extra five thousand at the auction. And then missed out on the three hundred thousand of capital gains if they, you know, that was available to, to them a year, a year later. So, rather than trying to think about, you know, getting a bargain or is this uh, where is this going next, just take a position in whatever asset class you think there needs to be real estate in this case, um, and don't don't try to time it. I think timing is the the big block that the people have. It's they're going for bargains and they're trying to get the timing right. You won't get the timing right and you won't get a bargain. So take a position in real estate. Jazz. Uh, totally agree on that. Like, There's nothing not to be agreed on that, I think, what John said, uh, except one thing, there was a chance to time the market this time if you were listening to Spotify. That is true. <laughs> yes, you would have known it was going to happen. Yeah, it, I, I knew, it, I knew it, that line was going to come at some point. <laughs> it, 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 it was timed this time and... But the level of growth that it will see, we didn't foresee that. We did time it, but what we didn't know knew was that it will be like crazy 30% or 25% or 20%, depending upon where you are 
type of growth. Um, so, but for uh, everyday person, I don't think there's any point in time, time uh, any any point in timing the market. It's always the time in the market, especially when it comes to real estate. There's no point. Yeah. Look, I've said this a thousand times, but the 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 you can't time the real estate market for a thirty year asset. All you can do is time your own personal circumstances when you can get your finance. That's the only timing that you can control. Because, and that's you just need to buy the, the the real estate when you're attractive to the bank. Because if you wait wait it out five years for the crash that never comes, your your, your um, credit profile will be different. It might be better, but it will be different. Just fo- just focus on focus on getting finance. Mm-hmm. Yep, and I think uh, to be, I mean, it's just my thinking. I think, Jazz, you, you mentioned that this one is, uh, we can see the trend and we can see what's coming. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think the indicator was when the, all the central banks are starting to print money. We know that all the asset prices are going to go up at some point in time, right? Sure. So make it absolutely blunt for everyone, basically. Yeah. That was the indicator this time to say, mm-hmm. at one point in time, that inflation is going to kick in. And we have seen that because essentially, if you keep printing money, then the dollar keeps losing value. And of course, the asset prices will have to go up. Yeah. To that. So. Bang, bang on the money. It's the it's when you started seeing the banks, central banks intervene, mm-hmm. you knew uh, that the assets were going to be inflated. Um, so yeah. I, I think you're bang on that. That's a good point. No, thanks for raising that, Jazz. So no, that's good. So, uh, um, and then... Um, that leads us to <laughs> talking about the, the, next, the next topic, which uh, to a certain extent, don't listen to the experts or so-called experts, inverted commas, in the media. Um, they really don't know uh, much, to be honest. Like in, in, a, lot of, a lot of them, I have to say, you know, you think of it, they might get paid in terms of talking what, you know, making these type of announcements, that kind of stuff. You never know whether there's a hidden agenda somewhere. Uh, in that instance, in terms of any so-called these so-called experts in the media, um, and you know we, we've seen we've seen in the past where um, obviously a very certain certain personnel will come out and say Sydney's going to drop thirty percent, forty percent, and you'll consistently hear that kind of news. Um, but the, ultimately, I think as what John said earlier, nobody knows what's really going to happen in in the future. Um, so don't be too. I mean, uh, don't be too obsessed in terms of saying, oh, if the media is saying that it's going to grow up, it's going to go this, um, and you know, you're going to get this much of growth and et cetera, et cetera. Don't, don't, don't make decisions just based on that information, I guess is, uh, is, is ultimately what we're trying to say here. So run your own race. Mm-hmm. My, my favorite is, um, and, I, I, and in this, uh, this um, tip from 2021, this is more picking on the media, but you'll notice that the banks always came out with uh, their updated forecasts and they'd say, um, uh, you know, Westpac predicts a, a 10% fall in um, real estate prices. And then the next quarter would be t- Westpac predicts a 5%, 5% growth. And then, and then by the last quarter, when there's only two months left of the year, so the year is done, there's nothing to predict. They go, well, we th- Westpac thinks real estate's going to go up by 20%. Well, so it's already gone up by 20%. You're, there's nothing left to predict. Um, yeah, in a sense, um, like the media are particularly bad at this because they're going for eyeballs and clickbait. But but even even well-meaning and intelligent people get this stuff wrong on, because it's unknowable. So don't 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 listen to anyone. Run your own race. Buy property when you've got your finance. Um, 
because even if I've always said this, even if you're at the top of a market, you, that means you're only four years away from the bottom of the next market of the next cycle. So, yeah, just just think, you know, take your own position. The assumption, the assumption is that it's a, it's a four-year cycle and that that's yes. how it will continue in the future. I disagree on that part, but uh, a discussion for next year. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good one. Uh, Jazz, anything you want to add on that, uh, uh, on that point? I think... No, other than what I just said, John, again, nailed it on that one. All good. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's move on to uh, lesson five then. Um, the whole political and economic structure is supported for property prices going up. This is for Australia, by the way. Uh, this includes the tax system, the monetary system, the political system. Uh, and, and I know that, um, John, you've made it very public that uh, the government's not going to let the property prices crash or property market crash in that instance. So um, real estate is either going up quickly or slowly, but don't wait. Don't try to time for crashes, basically. So again, I think this circles back to John, what you're saying before, hold your positions um, and, you know, like buy when you can afford it uh, rather than try to try to try to time when is when is going to be the lowest point to be able to cut it in. So in a sense, I think we've pretty much covered it, but I'll, I'll still open it up, to, um, John, if you want to add any more on that. Yeah, look, all I'd say is that there is there is going to be an inflationary bias to real estate. It, 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 there'll be times when it goes uh, down, but it's generally the the the, uh, the structures are there for gentle inflation most of the time. Um, the political class need a middle class. They're typically uh, owners of real estate. The central banks are, are always a little bit inflationary. They're always, you know. Or interest rates are always a little bit too low because the CPI doesn't reflect asset prices and um, and and so on. So and the tax the tax structure. I mean, in Australia, it's like negative gearing. In in, in the US, there's uh, CGT exemptions on on reinvesting in real estate. So the whole structure needs needs inf- interest rates. Sorry, needs real estate to be gently going up at all times. So. D- d- Again, it's sort of, you're right. I'm trying to get us away from predicting um, crashes and predicting booms. Real estate is just not the asset that you bother with, that sort of stuff. Um, I'll challenge this one big time. Uh, I think in the short term, real estate will act as a store of value and it will probably go up along with the inflation. So it will, it will definitely cover inflation. But I think with the f- future generations now looking at uh, digital assets like Metaverse and all that stuff, uh, which is virtual real estate as well to some extent, uh, I, I think real estate acting as a store of value for future generations uh, is not going to hold true in my opinion. But for short term, when I say short term for our generation, uh, it still holds it still holds true. It will still cover your inflation losses. So it will cover you up for the inflation. But the kind of growth that real estate used to see in the past, uh, we have seen already has slowed down over a period of time, which is 30, 40, 50 years. But um, the future is not going to be, the, the past is not going to predict the future in this case. I think the future is very different. And that's going to be uh, the digital world 
uh, when you see likes of Snoop Dogg and all buying virtual real estate in one of the metaverse environments, tells you where, where the world is headed, right? So um, younger generations looking at real estate as a store of value, highly doubt. Mm. Will it cover you up for inflation? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 so. I I disagree. And, but I, sorry, one but, more thing. Yeah. And, sorry, one more thing. And real estate should never be a store of value, anyways. It's a home. It's a shelter. <laughs> well, it's both. Yeah. 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 Uh, look, I, I understand what you're saying about the 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 next wave will be that the the uh, in the metaverse you buy the golf course using your um, digital currency, digital currency in a computer game, but but the golf course doesn't really exist or it doesn't exist in any meaningful economic way. And I think that this is where, um, you know, if you buy, if you buy a golf course in the computer game, you, do you really own anything? Did you really pay anything for it? Uh, I think real estate is in a sense, the timeless asset, but, um, but we will see. We'll see. Well, if the metaverse is popular and you're holding the right block of golf course in that metaverse, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Not different to potentially uh, physical world. Oh, look, we, we just came out of a year where real estate, as in with the uh, word real underlined, real estate uh, went up by 25%. So I don't, I don't think it's going out of fashion. I think it's becoming scarcer. Um, I think I think we're good. And and look, potentially both both things can exist. But if I had to put real money behind something, it would be it'd be real estate. And I'd so, be so we can challenge that one as well. Mm -hmm. If you were to go too far into the future when Elon has finally figured out to ship people to Mars at a cost of an airline ticket, technically your real real estate is not real real estate anymore either because it's endless. <laughs> uh, but that's deep That's deep discussion. So we don't want to go there. For now, like for, for now it is true that our generation will uh, still benefit out of it. But the future generations, I think uh, real estate as a store of value is gone. In mm -hmm. my opinion, for future generations to come. I, I think this is a good discussion point for an episode by itself, gents, to be honest. So it's something that we can definitely, definitely have a good deep dive around it as well. So I can see I can see the stance on both points, that's for sure. So um, all right. So and then that that basically leads us to the last uh, to the last lessons, which is talking about uh, in emotional resilience uh, in this case, just, uh, you know, with so many things changing and evolving and um, you know, around us, we we have the tendency to uh, catastrophize everything uh, to a degree. You know, bushfires, climate changes, COVID, whatever. We seem to be we seem to be making ourselves a victim the whole time. Um, to, to to you know, oh, did, did, did this, I didn't cause this to happen, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. The victim mindset, uh, which which is general generally embedded in the human behavior, but. I think the key here as a successful investor is you, do, you, you don't want to buy into the noise. So it doesn't really matter what's been happening around you. Yes, you need to have a certain level of awareness. However, at the end of the day, you're running your own race um, ultimately. You know? So does it really matter you know, what's, what, what, what the climate change is, is really going to be impacting if, you, if, you, you know, if you're still looking at investing, that kind of things? I mean, again, I think the, 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 whole, the whole theme and the whole thesis seems to be surrounding around run your own race, uh, you know, and invest when you can, when you can afford it to that degree, and don't get sidetracked by the noises, uh, you know, and that includes using a property term, 
the media saying that it could potentially crash in 2024, for example, right? And does that mean that you shouldn't be buying a property? Well, not necessarily. If you look back, 2021's already had, what, a 25% increase. They're predicting another uh, moderate increase in 2022, and then followed by potentially, you know, a bit of a dip in 2023 and so on. But that means, you know, yes, there, there will be a drop, but um, ultimately, you know, it might be you, you'll look back and you say there, there's been an increase of about 30% and then followed by what a five to 10% type of dip afterwards. So, yeah, so don't, don't get uh, run your own race, uh, be emotionally intelligent uh, and, and resilient in, the, in this ever changing world. Um, just like Evergrande is a great example. We, we started on that, right? A lot of investors had that fear all of a sudden. But the reality is when I look at it, yeah. Let me use Tesla again as an example. I said, I said this, um, the Evergrande has nothing to do with how Tesla operates or, or runs. The company itself did not lose any value in that instance just because of a company defaulted to a degree. That's pure noise. But a lot of people chose to obviously pull out because of the fear in that instance, which is all in your head, right? Tesla company doesn't actually, hasn't actually changed. There's still Elon Musk is still the CEO. They're still manufacturing cars and all that kind of stuff. There's nothing changed in that. It's all about people's perceptions. So um, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll close and leave it at that. But um, John, have you got, do you want to elaborate on that one? Yeah, look, look all, all we can control is how we respond to things. So when we talk about catastrophizing events, I think that that's, that's become just how we deal with things. Small problems, big problems, non-problems, we, we tend to catastrophize them. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to say that things like climate change aren't problems. But in term, but but, um, but they're probably not urgent problems, um, and all you can do is ha- control how you uh, uh, how you deal with it yourself. So I, I would just say like that it's a mindset issue. Um, uh, stay sort of sober and sane and uh, and sensible, and because these things, you know, the news cycle has a way of uh, ginning us all up and then moving on to the next story. So we just need to be careful with that. Anything? Uh, not really, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, so that's uh, that's a wrap for twenty twenty one. In that case, then I hope uh, you know investors uh, got something out of that uh, that six points that we have. Now onto the fun segment. We'll talk about our last year's predictions for twenty twenty. So. Um, if you tune back to the, around this time, I think it was 12th of December, 2020, we did a goodbye 2020 and hello 2021 episode, which talks about the predictions of how the 20, uh, how, how we all think that the property market and the capital cities are going to perform in 2021. Um, so now is the big reveal about the, this, this is the time when we give each other a bit of a hard time <laughs> to I finish off the year. Te- I think I'm having some technical difficulties today, but <laughs> just... We'll see. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> All of a sudden, John has tuned out again. John has left the meeting <laughs> for some bizarre reason. Um, so uh, I was the first one who, uh, who who predicted, who started the prediction because John handballed it to me. Not that I wanted to. <laughs> but um, I was predicting that uh, the Melbourne and Sydney and Canberra will be the top performers, uh, which I think to a certain extent, Melbourne was not the top performers. Sydney and Canberra has done quite well. Yes, I was playing safe, of course. <laughs> and the worst performer was Darwin uh, in that instance. I think if I look at the core logic data, um, Darwin um, at the moment, as of 30 of November, 
um, had a 12 months growth of, uh, let me just double check, Darwin is 16.68%. And out of all the capital cities, if we exclude Perth, because I'm not sure how accurate the Perth data is, um, then it's on par with Melbourne to a degree. So, so yeah, I think, uh, I guess, I was playing very safe, as you guys can all see, so I wasn't taking any risks. So that was a pretty safe bet. But you guys can give me the hammer, whichever way you guys like, <laughs> before we move on to the next prediction or, or going through uh, John or Jazz's prediction. <laughs> any comments on that? No? I think you did pretty well, David, to be honest. <laughs> oh, I put the safe bet, of course. All right, well, let's talk about a controversial one then, John. <laughs> um, you, uh, you, one of your predictions was that Melbourne will have more growth than Sydney. A ball call, but uh, I think that might come true in 2022, right? Eh? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> even, a, even a broken clock is right twice a day. I'll just keep saying the same thing, uh, and eventually I'll be right. Eventually so. it'll happen. Eventually it'll happen. But I think you had a good ground on that, though, because you, I think you mentioned that the Melbourne had a, a lot of pent-up demand. So it was a logical guess at that point in time. Same with Sydney. A lot of pent-up demand during the lockdown, so it, it is expected that it's obviously going to rebound. I think what the difference there was uh, the interstate migration. So they're losing a lot of people because people decided to yeah. leave Melbourne. That's what it is. But as immigration starts to open up next year, borders open up, people will be coming back to Melbourne again. So therefore, I think we'll remain bullish in 2022. Uh, the next prediction was Adelaide around 10 to 11% growth. Uh, let's validate the numbers there. Let's see, Adelaide, 21.45%. There <laughs> you go. Not too far off. It's only about ten percent. Oh, <laughs> just or, or it's the double. Exactly. <laughs> I was fifty percent wrong. Yeah, I was, I was like, you were fifty percent right and fifty percent wrong yeah, at the same right. time. So <laughs> it's all right. Uh, best performer: Adelaide or Perth or Adelaide and Perth, I should say. Um, yeah. Adelaide twenty one point four five percent. So I think that's ranking based on core logic data. That'll be ranking about. Four or five. Um, Sydney's done twenty-five. Brisbane's done twenty-six. Um, yeah. Um, so I think it's actually yeah. No, it's actually yeah. It's about it's about number number four, number three or number four. So actually, number four. Hobart's done twenty-seven as well. So um, and Canberra's done twenty-four. So um, so uh, that's yeah. And I thought Sydney and Hobart would be the worst performance. I, I can't. And I think Hobart was the best, and Sydney was the best. I think they. I got it exactly wrong. I, I could, I, I, I saw growth in all the markets, particularly Sydney, but I, I couldn't see it mm. outperforming like two years in a row. And yeah, so it's surprising. But uh, they're the best. Go, go Sydney. Go Sydney. I also don't want to be like the Sydney guy every week. So, <laughs> but um, but you are the Sydney yeah, guy every week. I am. <laughs> <laughs> now that's all good. All right. Um, so pretty good track record, John, there. Uh, we hope that you have a better luck this year. <laughs> uh, Jazz, um, Perth will outperform due to commodities and mining boom. Yes, uh, absolutely. Even though the numbers don't show, but I think um, I'd, I'm not too sure whether the uh, core logic figures are correct for Perth. They only said about 14% change in the last 12 months. Which and, I the, know. and the commodities boom is not over yet. And the commodity boom is still ongoing. So I think it's a bit like the Melbourne uh, scenario where you know we'll see we'll see it continue to perform in 2022. Canberra will do really well. Um, Canberra has done 24.52% or 24% in the last 12 months. So yes, has done really well. Um, Melbourne and Sydney, probably around 7 to 10%, but we're outperforming 22. 
I think that was probably a bit of a different story there, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think my numbers are pretty conservative, which is good. <laughs> pretty conservative, yes. Uh, yeah, which I, which you know, I think nobody, else, no, none of us saw that twenty five percent growth coming uh, for for Sydney. Uh, Melbourne's got a lot of way to catch up uh, next year, actually. So, I'm in the corner sucking my thumb here. I think David won. <laughs> the best performer, Sydney and Canberra. Um, I'll ignore the Melbourne bit, but uh, that's that's a pretty good call. Yeah, and Darwin. Darwin and Darwin didn't perform that well. Yeah, it was performing Darwin. Darwin. Yeah, so, yeah. As I said, I play safe, so you know I, I wouldn't say there's specifically <laughs> winners or losers here. That's, <laughs> That's so, right. Man. It's more of a fun segment than anything. Again, you know, we just we just talked about one of the lessons. Don't listen to experts right. inverted commas. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's just our personal opinion at the end of the day. Um, yeah. But uh, I guess it's a good tradition for us to continue the game on for next year. So we've got a lot more fun topics to talk about. So um, I don't know. Who'd like to go first this year for our 2022 predictions? I'll let John do it. <laughs> oh, man. All right. I scribbled some things down. So I've obviously given this a lot of thought. Um, so I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Brisbane will be the top performer for 2022. Um, and I've got Brisbane slash Perth. So I think Brisbane and Perth will do okay. P- Perth, is, there's always a question mark about how good the data is and how much volume there is. But uh, Brisbane for sure, Perth question mark. I think um, followed by Melbourne, followed by Sydney. I, I, I'm still <laughs> waiting for Melbourne to pop. But look, Sydney might do better than Melbourne. What I think will happen, generally speaking, I think Sydney will do sub 5%. I think Sydney will do under 5% growth. But here's the catch. I think that uh, rental growth will be greater than 5%. And what I think we'll see in 2022 is some yield normalisation. So I think broadly speaking, next year in Sydney will be flat and then the bull market will resume in 2023 and go for another 18 months or two years. But I think I think rents need to catch up and that's going to be the next phase. So, yeah. Anything about Adelaide? Uh, I don't know enough about the uh, Adelaide and Perth to, to be honest. Correct last year. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Uh, look, I, I just don't think that the, the the two the two cities with the least compelling demographics are Hobart and Adelaide. They, they've been broadly the same population for for a couple of decades now. So th- those those markets are driven by uh, credit availability and low interest rates, but they don't have that second wave, which is interstate migration and those sorts of things. So I, I, th- I think that as the low interest rate impact wears off, I think that that's when their property markets will, will, will slow down. Whereas Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, they have the, those demographic drivers as well and they'll keep going. Fair enough. All right, well, let's, let's do this. I mean, that, that's good, uh, but let's put, a, let's, put, let's put number one. Let's, I'll put, let's put our top three. Okay. Let's put it this way. Top three. Okay. Number one, number two, number three. What will be the three capital cities? Number one, Brisbane. Number two, Melbourne. Number three, Sydney. Okay. Awesome. Jazz? Um, 2022. So I think crypto will do pretty well next year. Uh, Property will slow down a bit. So we'll see a growth of somewhere between five to seven percent. I agree with John. Brisbane will be the outperformer, but for the cycle itself, Perth will still uh, win the game. 
for the cycle, uh, which is the commodity cycle, uh, followed by uh, a normal growth in the other states, uh, Melbourne, Sydney, and all, of five to ten percent. So, uh, if anything more than ten percent, uh, will be taken by a surprise completely. I think we'll see probably one rate rise by RBA next year, uh, but that will just be that will be uh, that will just be to test the markets more than anything else. Um, commodities should make a comeback in the later half of the in the later half of the year next year i think so yeah so we'll see mm. so you're going to go contrarian to dr philip Lowe, and you're going to say there's going to be one <laughs> rate rise even though every time you're saying no no we're not rising rates until 2024 uh, i think yeah, we'll no. see, i think we'll just see one rise to uh, test the waters more than anything else yeah. Can I chip in? I know we've got to get to your predictions, David, That's but fine. I'd say no rate rise next year, but APRA intervention. Um, I agree with you on commodities um, and I think gold and silver completing their cup and handle. So they should go up next year. Um, and my um, wild card is um, that there are 2022 midterm elections in the US. So there might be something like uh, a Russia invasion of Ukraine before the midterm elections while there's a democratic uh, uh, Congress. That, that, that's kind of the unpredictable, unknown unknowns. That's something to watch for, that something like that happens, or maybe even Taiwan or something like that. A Biden resignation might happen. But 2022 will be an interesting year in US politics because of the midterm elections right at the end. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'll agree with John on what he said about the regulators intervening. Uh, the only reason RBA won't raise its uh, cash rate by 0.25 basis point is if they pull the other trigger, which is the regulators intervening in the investors market. That is to me equivalent to still trying to put a tap on the property market, right? One way or the other. But I think I think John could, uh, will probably be right on that one, in, in my opinion. So, yeah. So top three, Brisbane, Perth, and who's number three? I... Perth is not for 2022. Perth is for okay. the cycle, right? Okay. Um, so who will be a top three cities in 2022 then? So I'll say Brisbane, uh, Melbourne, and uh, Canberra. Okay. Yeah. Canberra will continue to perform, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Okay. Awesome. All right. Um, my turn. So, yeah, pretty much... I think I do agree with most of you guys what you're saying, so I'm not going to extrapolate more there. Um, potentially serviceability buffer increase again from you know three percent to something if they absolutely need to, which means that's a that's an intervention from APRA uh, potentially on regulators um, to control the property prices if they still continue to 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 go up um, out of, out of control. Um, and I'm most bullish on. Brisbane uh, and Perth and Melbourne will be my next two pick. Actually, I, I would probably rank Perth as number two and then Melbourne number three, just because I don't think that immigration is going to flood in straight away. There will be a lag effect, but towards the end of 2022, when that immigration and depends on how the Omicron 
situation unfolds as well. Um, if yeah, if they if they started opening up borders in say March or June, um, Melbourne is really going to get that kick, which you know we all know it's being. It, it's at the moment it seems like Melbourne is providing so much more value. Uh, to a degree in comparison to say for example brisbane so but having said that brisbane is still going to uh, outshine uh, in that instance just for next year um and then perth will be benefiting from the mining from the continuing mining and commodity run that's still ongoing like what you guys have been saying um and melbourne last uh you know last coming in uh in that instance so yeah that'll be our top three predictions so there we go. It's all on record now. It's all on record now. So <laughs> next year, we'll look forward to reviewing these and have a bit of laugh. Um, and um, yeah, we'll see how that goes. So any wildcard predictions, non-property related? Um, Something a bit crazy, maybe? Fed will increase it, its interest rate next year. Fed? Yeah. All right. Well, time will tell. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. I'll tell. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, uh, I think that's pretty much uh, our final episode for 2021 then. Um, anything else, gents, you want to say to our listeners before we wrap up for the year? It was a great year. Um, other than the lockdown, which was painful. Um, yeah. Really enjoyed the time over the pod. Oh, look, I, I just I enjoy doing this every week. I know that it makes me have to think about what I think about, you know, if that makes any sense. Um, so if you, if, you, if, you, if you like it, I know it's a little bit, uh, you know, um, on the y-axis, so to speak. So uh, if, it, but, but I think that we, we put our balls on the line with predictions and I know that that's not, you know, the normal thing to do. So we, we, we really go out there and I think we get a lot of stuff right um, because we, we, we kind of dare to, to, to put our balls on the line. So if you like it, share it, you know, share it with your friends and, uh, and let us know uh, via email. We'd love to, love to get some feedback from you. Have a, have a special segment for you, John, next time. Every time you can say, like, share, subscribe. <laughs> That'll be the free keywords. Smash the, the like button. That's it. <laughs> yeah. But we've always said on the podcast, a lot of the stuff that we talk about is speculation. Uh, so always do your own research. Don't over leverage. Play safe, stay safe. John, Jazz, and David, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. See you guys. <laughs>